You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. I'll be reading today from Malachi chapter 3, 16 through chapter 4, verse 5. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, said the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. Uh, My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're visiting with us this evening, I want to just say again to you, welcome. Honored that you've chosen to hang out with us tonight. And uh, if we can serve you in any way, we would love to, uh, to do so. It's good to be, be back with you um, after a little bit of break from preaching. I'm always so grateful for what we call here at Mercy View an embarrassment of riches uh, with faithful men who can step into this space and bring you the word. So I want to thank the men that served you so well over these last few weeks. And um, yeah, just super grateful for, for those men. And I hope you, I know you've been encouraged by their uh, their teaching. One of my uh, favorite things is to uh, watch stories, movies about the future. Uh, and, and some of them, and, and maybe most of them, if, if I'm honest, are stories about a future that is post-apocalyptic. Now, you may not know you're watching something that's post-apocalyptic, but let me just give you some movie titles. And if you've watched these movies, you've watched something that's post-apocalyptic. The Matrix, Planet of the Apes, the the old one and the new ones. Um, One of my favorites, I Am Legend, A Guilty Pleasure. I didn't know I would really love this. And I heard there's there's like a sequel to this, but Pacific Rim Anybody seen Pacific Rim? Nobody. Oh, and I heard somebody. Okay, all right. Thank you. Somebody's helping me out. Uh, some of you may have watched A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place 2 just came out. I haven't seen it yet, but that's a post-apocalyptic. Uh, maybe one of our family's favorite, and this is really interesting because, like, this is a Disney movie, but yes, it's post-apocalyptic, but Wally, 
If you've watched Wally, you've watched a post-apocalyptic movie. And actually, probably one of my favorite favorites, maybe it's just sentiment because I saw it when I was a kid. And actually, it's the sequel, not the original, that I really was captured by, but Back to the Future 2. Right? Because Back to the Future, the original, is about the past. But Back to the Future 2 is about the future. And I've been thinking this week about why I enjoy those movies so much, what's interesting to me about that, and if you enjoy those kinds of uh, movies or books, uh, maybe you can resonate with this. I think for me, the big question is, what does the future hold, right? And really, when I watch these movies or read these books about the future, what I'm getting is a person's idea or a glimpse into what they think the future might look like, right? And Back to the Future 2 is a great example of this. You get a picture of what it looks like to move into the future and to see what life might be like then. And um, it's a little bit more of a lighter movie. It's, it's more of a comedy versus some of these other ones that get pretty dark, right? Post-apocalyptic tends to get kind of dark. But when I think about the future, I, I, I think about this a lot. Maybe I'm just weird, but um, I think what it would be like to just travel in time five years from now and to see what my life would be like. Do you ever think about that? Like, where are you? What are you doing? What's going on in your life? I think about that a lot. What does it look like 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? And I think it's because I'm asking the same question that happens when I watch movies that talk about the future, deal with the future, and it's that question. What is the future going to hold? I think part of it for me, if I'm really honest, there's a genuine curiosity. Um, but I think if I'm also honest, there's a little bit of, I'm, I'm unsure. Uh, there's some, some fear maybe in that. There's a little bit of a doubt about not knowing what, what the future holds. And then I think, wait a second, I do know what the future holds. As a Christian, there has been and is a definitive word about the future. And so I can watch that stuff and it not necessarily be something for me that, that uh, instills a deep sense of fear and doubt, but rather it helps me remember I actually do know what the future holds. There is a definitive word. So I actually don't need to think what is the future all about. I don't know if you've thought about the future, but what if... There is a definitive word about what the future holds for you that actually doesn't instill fear, doesn't instill doubt, and answers your curiosity about the future. What if there is a definitive answer? Tonight, we conclude a seven-week series in the book of Malachi that uh, has been really great, right? Old Testament prophet, last book of the Old Testament. We said at the outset of, of this series, that's probably one of the most interesting things about the book is that this is the last word we get for almost 400 years until John the Baptist shows up and announces Jesus, the Redeemer. And so, what does the last prophet have to say to us? What is his final message? What is his parting word? We've seen over... And over the last few weeks, what those parting words have been. There have been many. And tonight, we see Malachi's final parting word. And as we conclude our series this evening in the book of Malachi, I want to invite you to see two things. First is this. The future 
of the resistant is tragic. Did you say that again? The future of the resistant is tragic. Secondly, I want you to see this, though, that the future of the forgiven is bright. The future of the forgiven is bright. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Malachi. Actually, I want us to begin in Malachi 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll jump back to some of what you heard Nikki read in in Malachi 3. But look with me, if you would, beginning in verse 1 of Malachi 4. And uh, as you're looking back there, I just want to say something real quick. A lot of what we've talked about in this series has to deal with the present. We have taught and and talked with you about the way in which uh, Malachi, as the prophet of God, is saying to us as Christians in the here and now, here's who I am, here's who I am for you, I want you to trust in me, I want you to believe in me, I'm, I'm a patient God, I'm a generous God, I'm a God that's with you in suffering. It's been a lot about the present. God wants your heart, that's where we began this series We've talked about how Jesus is the true and better high priest, about how God is faithful whenever we're faithless. We just sung about that, right? And we've talked about, again, God's desire to give himself to you through his generosity. And all of those things are reminders to us as believers that that is available to us in the present, in the here and now. And in some ways, what I want to talk about this evening is a continuation of that idea. It's a particular continuation of what you heard Ryan talk about last week. But here's what Malachi is doing that's a little different this evening. He is showing us not just how the present impacts us now, but what the future holds for us. Actually, what the future holds for two different groups of people. One way to say this would be to say that up to this point in our book, Malachi has been pointing to something called the age of grace that that you and I live in right now, a period of time, an era where God's grace is available to anyone that would take, take it and believe in it and trust in it. Now, I am not a dispensationalist, but I think the general principle, this idea that we live in a time and an era where the grace of God is available to us is helpful. We are living in a time where that mercy, that grace that God wants to grant those that would place their faith and trust in him is available to everyone, anyone. They place their faith, they place their trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God says, I will save you. I will redeem you. I will forgive you. It's in the atmosphere that we live in that grace is available. But but today, Malachi isn't just talking about the present. He's talking about the future. And he's talking about the future of two different types or groups of people. In fact, in, in many ways, Malachi is talking about a specific time in the future that culminates in something. And you may see in your heading for chapter 4, in my Bible, it says, the great day of the Lord. When we read that little phrase in verse 1, for behold, the day is coming, that is what it is signaling. It's signaling something, a day in the future that is coming that's called the day of the Lord. Now, when you see that phrase, the day of the Lord, 
the prophets are leaning into this idea that there is uh, a time in history, a series of days and events that will happen towards the end of this side of eternity that culminates in something called the last day. So, so the, day, the great day of the Lord, that's, that's the culmination. And the last day is what is known as the day of judgment that we see in Revelation 20. That's interesting that uh, Malachi is, is writing about the, the future that, that hasn't happened yet, but as a prophet, inspiration, he is g- getting insp- inspired by the, by the uh, God, the Spirit, and he is writing about something in the future that we see described for us in Revelation 20. So here's what the day of the Lord means when you see a prophet reference it. It's ultimately centered around the second coming of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, the judgment of all people into their eternal fate, and reward in God's presence or punishment in the presence of Jesus. Now, that is a lot. That is a sermon series in and of itself, just to walk through all of that. Someday we will do that. We don't have time to get into all of that this evening, but but here is the long and the short of all that I just said. Everyone one day will give an account to Jesus someday. Every person that is in this room with an earshot of what I just said, that you will give an account to Jesus one day. One day, every person that has ever lived will bow their head and bend their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ in one way or another. That's what the Old Testament speaks of when it speaks of the day of the Lord. And here Malachi is giving us a window in, a picture of our future, depending on which group you find yourself in. So before we even start talking about this, one of the things that I want you to think about, a question that I want you to be thinking about is, which group am I in? Is, is Brad getting ready to describe, I'm getting ready to describe two groups. Am I in the first group or the, or the second group? Let, let's talk about what these groups are. Now beginning in verse 1, we said there's a little lang- language there that signals that, that the prophet is talking about uh, a time, a, a day of the Lord, but he goes on, and let me just read this again, but because this, we need to feel the weight again of this passage. He says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. There, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, said the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. If I'm really honest with you this evening, um, I wish we could skip this passage. Um, There is nothing I enjoy about talking about the eternal destination of some people who have chosen to reject Jesus. But I am a Bible man. And my duty to you as one of your pastors is to not skip stuff. And so we need to uh, deal with what Malachi is talking about here. We would do well as just, just being here this evening to 
open our hearts up to what Malachi uh, is trying to say to us. It would not be good for us to zone out right now and to be thinking about other things, but to really do business with the Lord as we think about what Malachi is talking about here. He is talking about the fact God. Those whom God gives over to their wishes to be their own God. This is a serious subject. What Malachi is talking about here is the reality of something called hell. By the way, Jesus talks about hell more than heaven in the New Testament. If it's important for Jesus to talk about this, we need to talk about it this evening. Now the reason that here Malachi begins to talk about hell is because he is desiring to warn us. And any time you see language in the scriptures about hell, God is trying to warn you. Why? Because he wants to be mean? Because he's a punitive or an angry or wrathful God? No, because he loves you. He loves you so much to tell you the truth, to tell you the truth about reality. Now, we're talking hell, and and by inverse heaven, are spiritual realities for us right now. But friends, there is a day coming when those are not just spiritual realities. They will be realities in all all that means, in all of its senses. And the reason that God talks about it is because, yes, We live in an age of grace right now, but there's coming a day when life on this side of eternity comes to an end one way or another for for one of these groups of people. So, what is the future for those who reject God? Notice the language. Malachi likens it to a fire, to burning. He's talking not necessarily about literal fire. There's a lot of debate about what hell is, how it you know, what it looks like and how it functions. But what, what the writer here is, is saying is that hell is a place of conscious torment. I just want you to think for a moment um, about those two words. Conscious, does that mean it means to be fully aware? Torment. And we're not talking about just in a moment, not for just a day, not for just a week. We're talking about eternal conscious torment. See, the burning in hell is not like a log that you put on the fire and it eventually withers away. It is a supernatural burning in a sense. Isaiah 66, 24 says it this way, their fire shall not be quenched. Friends, the fires of hell Whatever that means, we at least know it is eternal conscious torment. They never go out. Never. The burning, the suffering, it is eternal, it is unyielding, it is unending. Now, again, there's much debate about what exactly the biblical writers mean when it describes hell. And whether hell includes literal fire or not. The imagery that the biblical writers use are are using throughout the scriptures are used to show us that this is a terrible place. 
It is an unspeakable place. It is a horrifying place of unending separation from the grace of God. Job 18, 14 says that that death is the king of terrors. And friends, if that's true about death, hell will be the place of an eternal king of terrors. In a sense, when we study what the Bible has to say about hell and we come up with our take, it, it really to me doesn't matter honestly what hell is actually like if you are eternally separated from ever getting to experience the grace of God. Like the separation is enough to make hell a horrible place. So whatever your theology of hell is, it's not a place you want to go. Here's the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. The future of the resistant is tragic. Now, the cry, I'm sure, that begins to rise up in us when we hear teaching like this. We, by the way, we, you know, we, talk, we deal with the issues that the scriptures deal with as we go through books of the Bible. That's primarily what we do here. We don't talk about this a lot. But because this is what Malachi is talking about, um, again, we want to deal with it. And honestly, I... Um, I would say it would be unloving not to. But I do know, because I've had conversations with people about the issue of hell, and many times there is a, um, a cry of, this doesn't sound right, Brad. Isn't God a loving God? Like, this feels unjust, this feels punitive, maybe even it feels unfair, Brad. And I, I want you to hear me tonight. If, if you feel that, I, I understand that. I understand how it could feel that way because this is really heavy stuff. This is literally life and death stuff. It feels probably like for some of you, man, there has got to be another way. God, why didn't you come up with another way? Why can't you, God, give everybody a chance even at the very end, why can't you just save everybody? And I was thinking about how to answer that question. And I, I know that answering that question is, um, again, we could take a long time trying to answer it. And I, I was reminded of something. I was reminded of the story of Noah. And at the time of the flood, God had already given the people at, that were living at that time around Noah, 120 years to repent and to turn to him. Now, you might think well, 120 years is not very long. It's pretty long. It's a, more than a lifetime for us. We, we don't live to 120. I know people are starting to live a little bit longer, but we're not living that long. So in general, if you can imagine Noah preaching the message of God to the people that are watching him build an ark going, what are you doing? We're out in the middle of the desert. There's not any rain. There's not going to be any rain. And Noah's saying, guys, listen, you've got to trust me on this. I've heard from God on this. It's coming. But if you will place your faith in God, he will save you. He will rescue you. He will spare you. Noah did this for decades. 
It took him decades to build the ark, and it took him decades to preach this message. In fact, in 1 Peter 3.20, it says that the patience of God was waiting in the days of Noah. The patience of God. 2 Peter 2.5 also says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So that means that Noah proclaimed the word of God to the people around him over and over and over, and they looked at him and said, what are you doing? Why are you building this boat in the desert? It's just sand, man. You're crazy. And Noah would preach, oh, but there will be. I love you enough to tell you the truth about the future. It's going to rain unless you repent and turn back to him. If you will accept God's grace, if you will accept his forgiveness, he will relent. Over and over, Noah would have preached that message. It was a message of warning. It was a message of, of, of repentance, but it was a message of grace. And you know what happened? After 120 years, Noah didn't have any other converts than his own kids. And everyone but Noah's family rejected God. God had graciously warned them for 120 years and they rejected his message and they perished. Friends, this is a picture of what Malachi is talking about here. If you are here tonight and you don't know for sure if you are a Christian or not, in the present, we just said in the age of grace we're in, God is saying to you, accept my grace. Receive it. It is here for you for the taking. And I, I, I just feel led to say, if that's you, you need to do business with God tonight. You do not need to leave here tonight without coming and grabbing me after church or John, one of our other pastors here, and saying, I got to get this settled, Brad. The good news of the gospel for you, friend, today is that God's grace is available to you. But Malachi is saying something else. Listen to me. I say this because I love you. Malachi is saying that grace, that patience is not forever. God, like Noah, in the age we live in, is preaching the truth of his gospel in a thousand ways if we will open our eyes and our hearts up to see it. Now, don't miss this. Ryan touched on this last week. In the here and now, God is patient. Oh, so patient. The moment that you find yourself in right now is evident of that. So don't neglect where you are spiritually right now in the age of grace that you live in where the patient mercy of God is available to you. Friend, if you neglect to think deeply about your future now and you choose to live your life the way that you want, God will give you over to what you want. But friends, you do not want that. You don't want hell. The future of the resistant against God is tragic. Now look with me, if you would, back at Malachi chapter 3, beginning there in, in verse 16. God also, through his prophet, talks about a different future for a different group. 
And it says that those who feared the Lord were remembered by the Lord. And notice what God says about them in verse 17. Let me just read that for us again. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And this is what I want you to see. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Friends, Malachi is describing another future. He is describing another kind of eternity here. He is describing something called heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. He is describing another eternity for a particular group of people. Now, twice, Malachi says, those who fear God will be spared. Or in verse 7, excuse me, in verse 17, he says they will be healed and He is somehow trying to make a connection between the fear of the Lord and heaven. I just read a book about this. I had no idea, really. I couldn't remember. I mean, I was reading through Malachi, studying it, preparing for this, but honestly, I had forgotten about this connection that Malachi made between the fear of the Lord and heaven. And I I literally just got done reading a book on the issue of the fear of the Lord. And I could not get away from it this week. I kept thinking about it, and I thought, man, i got to share this with you because it's powerful. In, in his book, Rejoice and Tremble, theologian and author Michael Reeves takes on the issue of the fear of the Lord in a masterful way. And here's what he says, and this is the connection. Saving faith cannot be separated from the right fear of God. For we will trust in God only to the extent that we have this fear that leans towards Him. Fear not only defines our love for God and our joy in God, but it also prompts us to trust in God. Do you see the the connection? And tonight, if you are here and maybe you've not heard this phrase, the fear of the Lord, or maybe you've heard it before and you thought, man, that is so confusing. Are you saying, Brad, that we are supposed to be afraid of God? That is not what the biblical writers mean when they use this phrase. What the biblical writers mean is that those who fear God, those who revere God, those who extol God, worship Him, esteem Him, honor Him, cherish Him, they are exhibiting that they have received the love of God. Right? It makes sense. Why would you worship God unless you love Him and you're trusting in him. It's, it's the natural response of someone who loves the thing that they are praising or worshiping. It's the thing that we do all the time, right? What's the first thing we talk about with people in conversation? Well, I, it's different things, but whatever it is, it many times can be one of the things that is most important to us or the most important thing to us. We want people to know about what we care about. So the same is true about God. When we in just like full abandon, worship and extol and esteem God, what we're doing is saying, God, I trust you. I recognize that you are my king and I, I want to follow you and I want to worship you in, in this way. It's a, it's a recognition of position. Malachi is saying in so many words here that God looks upon the heart and is pleased to find it with the fear of the Lord. Because what the fear of the Lord means is you trust in God. 
In fact, in the last chapter of his book, Reeves says that where hell is the dreadful sewer of all sinful fears, heaven is the paradise of unconfined, maximal, delighted, filial fear. Filial is another word for family, right? So God as our father. Reeves is saying that heaven's the home of happy fear because God is our father and we're his children. And for those of us that have that fear of the Lord, that trust in God, we will continue to revere God in that way forever. So the fear of the Lord in the present leads to a fear of the Lord in eternity. Here's the second thing I want you to see this evening. The future of the forgiven is bright. This is the last word of Malachi. He is giving us a picture of two futures. So the question for us tonight is, well, what is your future? Is it destined for a place of eternal torment or eternal joy? Do you have a God-resisting heart or a God-fearing heart? If so, Malachi says here, if you trust in God, if you place your faith and trust in who he says he is for you, says in, in, he, in this passage, God will spare you. Why would Malachi use that language? Malachi is using that language because he is pointing forward to the reality of what Paul says in Romans, that the wages of your sin, my sin, is death. You don't need to be spared of something that you didn't do. You need to be spared of something that you did do and your sin against an infinite God has an infinite cost. And the good news of the gospel for anyone that's willing to hear it tonight and receive it is that God will spare you. How? Just like Paul says in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, friends, it's because God did not spare his son that he can spare you as a son or a daughter of God. God did not spare his son from the cross so that you could be spared from the wages of sin, which is death. Jesus died in your place for your sins so that you did not have to. See, if, if you're here tonight and you are resisting the grace of God that I just described, this life is as close to heaven as you will ever get. But for the Christian, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. It only gets better for the Christian. The future of the forgiven is bright. I plead with you tonight, be a part of the future of the forgiven so that your future can be bright. Friends, we don't know how long this season of patient grace is available to us. So I want to plead with you, I want to encourage you with a, a real sense of urgency to consider your eternity tonight. And if you're a Christian, 
and you would say genuinely, Brad, my eternity is settled. I am convinced. I am confident in that. I want to say praise the Lord. Share that with some people around you. The same urgency that I'm asking people here tonight that may not yet have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, I want to ask you to have the same urgency to get that message to the people around you. It takes more than your death to go to a better place. Our death does nothing to guarantee where we will spend eternity. It takes the death of Jesus in our place to go to a better place. And in our passage today, Malachi is leaning 400 years into the future. He's talking about Jesus' coming. He's talking about whether or not you will eternally be with God in mercy or with God in justice. Friends, everyone lives forever. Some of you may think this. You may have heard people say, man, this is the only life I've got. I've got to live it up. This is not the only life that you have. Everyone lives forever. Ecclesiastes says that God puts eternity in our hearts. That's not just a, like, a, like this sort of ethereal kind of, you know, new age thing. That's a reality, an eternal reality. The only question for you and I is one of location. And the good news of the gospel is that only an infinite sacrifice can pay the penalty for an infinite sin against an infinite God. And Jesus, the infinite God in the flesh, paid for your sin in the one-time sacrifice of the cross so that you didn't have to pay for it infinitely in hell. Friend, we must think about our future now. We stand on the other side of the coming of Jesus that Malachi had, was leaning into that would happen 400 years later. We're on the other side of the coming of Jesus. Where will you be at the second? How you answer that question matters cosmically. The future of the forgiven is bright. Have you been forgiven? Let's pray together.